0: Hi, my name is Susan. I've been arrested 32 times just for listening to people talk with each other. The problem was I used to hide in the bushes outside the windows of people's homes to enjoy listening to strangers talk to each other. It's just something I like to do. I get bored and lonely sometimes you know hey susan don't do all that there's another way to enjoy random conversations now thanks to the podcast show i can enjoy listening to conversations with strangers and learn something new every week no more listening outside the window just to enjoy a good conversation tune in weekly on wednesdays and subscribe for updates on your favorite platform to The ToddCast Show and help our podcast family continue to grow and share around the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The ToddCast Show. My name is Todd Mira, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you. The ToddCast Show is dedicated to exploring the human condition through conversation with strangers, We explore the positive, interesting, and oftentimes shocking side of human nature. In each episode of the ToddCast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted, everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics won't know what to expect next join in the conversation to laugh love learn and grow with others around the planet who will i call next tune in to find out every wednesday at midnight pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform and stay connected with us at TodcastShow.com. hello and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Show. Today, we're joined with Ann Metz. How are you doing, Ann, today?
1: I'm doing great. I'm really happy to be here, Todd. Thanks for having me.
0: Me too. It's exciting to have you here, and I'm looking forward to finding out about your life and all that good stuff. Where are you calling from today?
1: I am in Taos, New Mexico, which is a very wonderful little mountain town in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, um, you know, right on the border with Colorado.
0: That sounds great. Oh, man. Um, I actually just moved to Henderson, Nevada from Mayer, Arizona, which is in the middle of nowhere. Um, There is a speed trap there. A lot of people know, (laughs) but kind of like that, but Arizona style. So I can relate to that. That sounds beautiful.
1: Yeah. Beautiful,
0: beautiful. Very nice. And were you born there or where were you born?
1: Oh, no. I'm originally from the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, so I'm a recent transplant to the West. Um, no kidding. Yeah.
0: Well, that's interesting, too. I was born in Newport News.
1: Oh, no way. Were you
0: yeah.
1: Are you from a military family?
0: <laughs> well, it depends on what you consider military. Um, my grandfather was a naval officer and retired, okay. of, you know, all kinds of honors. My father was a leader of something called the Army Jazz Showmobile Band in Fort Eustis, Virginia back in the 50s and 60s and his thing in the Army was he was the leader of the jazz band but um, he did go and fight in Korea uh, but he found a way out of that by leading the music and he was very gifted in that way so not a typical brat but yeah kind of but you know like not the typical military where you're getting transferred it was more just like a product of the environment almost. My father just happened to be in the military before I came along. So yeah, uh, yeah, I didn't get to enjoy any of that stuff, but I'd love to have seen his music. That would have been cool. Um, so that's great. And uh, being in Shenandoah Valley, that sounds really neat and beautiful. Where is that in Virginia?
1: So um, it is actually between the Allegheny mountains and the Blue Ridge mountains. Oh, Appalachia. My parents moved there in the 70s to start a business, kind of sight unseen, and they had a family, and that's where I was raised. And um, yeah, then I spent most of my adult life um, in small towns in Virginia, and then moved west.
0: Wow. Uh, do you make a lot of moonshine as a child? <laughs> no,
1: it's funny, you know, my parents, um, you know, like small southern town you know i think they were still sort of regarded as yankee carpet baggers even in the 70s you know Um, so yeah no no moonshine just uh,
0: that's the first thing i think of when i when i hear appalachia because of the uh uh, moonshiners tv show you know apparently they run a lot of shine through that place Uh, well
1: you know really prohibition was a really bad idea and i respect the people's you know, desire to make their lives the way they want
0: to, so. (laughs) Totally agree. Have you ever actually had real moonshine before?
1: Yeah, yeah, I have. I actually worked um, for a nonprofit when I was in college that was in, um, that did home repair for um, families in central Appalachia. And, you know, a couple of families that I had had their own little stills. And so it was,
0: uh,
1: you know, a treat to yeah.
0: I only got it once, actually. I was with a girlfriend at the time in a music store, and the owner just happened to be there. He was this nice old guy, and he waved us back out of nowhere. We're just cruising around the music store. He waved us to the back room, and I'm like, uh, okay. And we went back there. He said, uh, hey, i uh, like to try some moonshine, and I'm like, Yes. And, so you know, one tiny little sip, man. And it was like overwhelming. It was a really neat experience. I have to say, I'm not a drinker, but it felt good. It gave you an amazing buzz and like not even an ounce, like just a tiny little sip. It was like, (laughs) holy Jesus, man. Wow. That was crazy um so let's let's back up a little bit because I want to get to some subject matter that I was thinking about related to you actually and Mm -hmm. um I'd like to find out more about your childhood and kind of learn about how you started out did you have both parents growing up
1: I did yeah my parents um are actually still married they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary this past year um and you know they owned a small business when I was growing up and it was Not necessarily a successful business for the first couple of years, Um, and so, you know, just kind of lean times when I was a little kid, um, but have very fond memories of kind of going to their store. They owned um, like a a rental company, so they would do special events and have equipment and um, yeah. In the summer, my dad would put up party tents for people, and he would take my sister and I to
0: help him, and we'd get paid uh-huh. in ice cream cones. So. Right? <laughs> what a deal! Oh man, I think yeah. I, I could still work for ice cream cones. Yeah. Like I know,
1: yeah. it's a really, you know, it's really the perfect thing for a summer day. It's really hard to pass up. It feels you know, people are
0: people are missing the boat in corporate America by not infu- <laughs> infusing this idea into their business plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great one. I think we stumbled onto something. And so growing up, when did, um, well, let me ask another question if I could, what about siblings? Do you have siblings?
1: Yeah, I have one older sister. Um, I think we kind of joke that we, um, you know, somehow seem like we were raised and as single children, you know, we, uh, we really, really different and always mm-hmm. kind of were, but, um, you know, had had fun as, you know, we were friends, you know, when we were
0: kids, and that was a great treat. That's awesome. What kind of age gap?
1: So it's two years, which, you know, as a mental health professional, two girls that are two years apart is like, A situation that's just asking for (laughs) competition.
0: Yeah, I would say so for sure. So um,
1: (laughs) you know, I mean, you know, I you know managed to get out of my childhood with like only one scar on my hand, and um, you know, she wasn't able to, um, you know, act on her her plans to rub out her younger sister. (laughs) I see,
0: I see, but there was a plot to kill you at one point in time.
1: (laughs) There was, yeah. There's a baby book that I my baby book actually, where my sister has some drawings in it, and it's like a skeleton and a little baby crib. And it has, it's very clear that that was me because it says Anne right on top of it.
0: <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Um, what's the earliest memory that comes to mind as a child? What's the very first thing that you remember?
1: Todd, I. This is. I feel like I'm sitting on the couch and that you're the therapist.
0: (laughs) I know. Isn't this fun? Like roles are reversed today, honey. (laughs) Roles are reversed. Yeah. This is is what makes it special. Is you have gifts and abilities and talents, and I want to find out how that person came to be. And you know, uh, that's really what the show is all about. It's geared towards understanding how different people um, experience life and go through struggles and you know, how they succeeded in, in uh, times of trials and tribulations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it is a little bit geared towards, you know, like uh, I should have like a proverbial virtual couch for people to sit on.
1: Sure, <laughs> uh, yeah. It, no,
0: nobody's ever cried. Okay, for, like <laughs> That's the good news. Nobody's ever cried. So, mm-hmm. um, But it is kind of one of those things where, you know, not many people talk about these things, but it really adds a lot of you know, color to the picture of a person to know things about those things, because some of us share them in common, and Mm -hmm. uh, some of us have differences, and it's nice to learn from those, so that's really the impetus behind it.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's really true, and that uh, sometimes if we really think about it, we can see sort of threads, um, threads of the people we become early in life, and so maybe this story I'll share is an early one that I can kind of remember that I think is sort of indicative of 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 who I am as an adult um, awesome yeah and I uh my parents uh were not religious when I was growing up but they were kind of like well we're new in a community and we need to pick a church and they were pretty pragmatic about it they were like okay which church has a good parking lot and which one has a good <laughs> preschool
0: it. awesome very cool
1: <laughs> so they picked that one and since that time they've been Presbyterian um
0: <laughs> okay. right on
1: And, uh, I had a teacher who, uh, once said something along the lines of just like, you know, people who drink beer are going to hell and, you know, it's a
0: really
1: kind of intense thing to say to a preschooler. And I just came home from, from preschool that day, just totally sobbing because of course my father at the end of the day enjoyed a Coors Light. He was always having like a silver bullet kind of the end work. And, know. um,
0: did he pour salt on it?
1: He, no. Oh, no. He's from the Midwest that he would have to accessorize. Uh,
0: my, my grandfather did that. He used to drink Pap's Blue Rhythm, Ribbon, and he'd pour salt on it.
1: Huh.
0: I don't know what think that's, that's about. That. I've
1: never, I'll have to try that sometime. Um,
0: yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt.
1: Oh, no, no, no. By uh, so the way, I just was and they were like, you know, what's wrong? What happened? And I was like, oh, Mrs. Summers said that people who drink beer are going to hell, and you know, I think they had a moment where they were just like, oh, wow, where have we sent our daughter? And uh, and their reaction, I think, was just to kind of laugh. Um, And, you know, for me, it was one of those things where I was really sensitive and really concerned. And it was really distressing kind of thinking that, uh, you know, there was something that was like we were somehow vulnerable and i just kind of wanted my father to stop um so i think uh, for me that was just a story about um about you know being curious about spirituality and what is true in the world and mm-hmm. um what's like bigger than ourselves um but also sort right, of pressing against you know uh reality and pressing against you know family tr family beliefs and things like that so anyway.
0: absolutely when when was the first time you think and about how old were you when you first started to think about the future
1: um I mean you know I always I used to remember getting really kind of bummed out when school would start because I would sort of think to myself like oh man I'm never going to be going into second grade again um
0: uh-huh.
1: and so I think I always had a You know, a little bit of a, like, melancholy, sentimental side where it was, like, painful to think about time passing and not being able to
0: capture it. Wow. Yeah, for me, it was always look forward to the summer, can't wait to be away from school for a while, and oh, no, I have to go back again, and now I'm going to be in a different classroom.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. I know. It was always a hard time. It's just, like, the fall just has this, like, sad heaviness to it sometimes.
0: Yeah, I can dig it. I can dig it. I went to a private school. I was a developmentally disabled child with ADHD, and they didn't know what that was way back in 1971 when I was born, apparently. And uh, they literally dig this. You'll appreciate this. Um, So they wanted to put me in an institution as a baby because I was moving around too much and I was crying too much and doing things that they weren't used to. And like, why won't this thing sleep? And, you know, they were all freaked out, and they tried to convince my mother to put me in an institution, and she fought for me, thankfully. So thank you, Mom, wherever you are. Um, But, yeah, man, that was crazy thinking about that. And although I struggled a lot growing up, and I went to private school for the first nine years of of school, um, you know, I struggled a lot. Like, uh, I've overcome quite a few challenges actually so you know it's nice to look back and think of those times and all and you know for me it was a little different because the people never really changed that was the difference you know and the classes everybody just kind of moved to another room and you know all the same faces and everything like that and I don't know it was just different until public school then it got a little more sentimental I I do agree went to my prom and all that stuff you know blah 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 um, so, okay. And then, so as you were kind of looking towards the future, what was what was life like for you growing up?
1: Oh, um, you know, I, I feel like it was, you know, I was a very tall girl in a small rural town in Virginia. So I was always very aware of of being physically different than most people. Um, really?
0: That sounds great. What's the problem?
1: <laughs> well, you know, when I got to college, I realized like, okay, this is this is quite this is quite a virtue, but, you know, uh, it wasn't certainly when I was growing up and Okay. um yeah, I think that that just made me just feel sort of hesitant about myself. Um,
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And also just kind of feeling like there was this expectation gender wise in the community I lived in that, you know, girls weren't supposed to be smart and they weren't supposed to be tall. And, you know, I kind of mm. felt like I sort of struggled against that and on two levels, too. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it just kind of felt like it took a while to find people that I connected with, um, you know, in my life. And when I did, it was a really special opportunity
0: Totally. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that ever really changes. I, I couldn't agree with that statement more. And I try to live up to that even to this day. Like it it just, you got to choose your people carefully. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Maybe especially today. It wasn't like this before, but um, you know, you got to watch out for the weirdos. Um, so that's no good. And then um, growing up, uh, like talk about uh, maybe some memories in your preteen and teen years you know what kind of things were happening that in that time in your life
1: oh oh, wow I mean I think I was a really you know you know just very aware of um of of differences that people had in the world and Mm. kind of the privilege that I had kind of growing up in a Family where my parents were together, and you know, we had enough totally. food to eat. And, um, yeah. so, you know, I was very concerned with, you know, social what I would call social justice things now, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, really wanted to be involved in projects that were related to housing and food. And, um, totally, yeah. So it's kind of a like. You know, born in the wool kind of do gooder. And it just sort of felt like that was the path that I was on. Um, you know, uh, and, you know, what I would kind of spend my time with and what I was interested in and the books that I would read. Um, you know, I was really, really into school and, you know, was a good student and, um, you know, just mm. was really kind of curious. And that I think has kind of carried over. But I think that was the, you know, the kind of early do gooder. Right the world and make it better that how about
0: sounds, you that sounds really cool actually um for me it was uh all about marijuana and girls
1: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a lot more fun
0: <laughs> yeah it was i gotta tell you yeah I, I i got introduced to marijuana when i was 11 years old and in my private school there were these high school kids that uh, wanted my ritalin and i didn't really know why or anything but i didn't care because i didn't want to take the pill anyway and i had to take it every day and so one day, like one of the high school kids is like, "Hey, uh, why don't you just give that to me?" And I'm like, "Okay." And then so a day or two later, I'm outside at the little smoking bench where the high school kids to go to smoke their cigarettes. You could do that back then. Um, and this, I'll never forget this one guy. This one guy, like his name was Kevin, and he was just kind of a quiet, you know, normal guy and everything. And He's like, hey, you got to try this. And I'm like, no, no, no. I was scared to death and didn't seem like a good idea to me. And somehow he talked me into it. I'm glad he did because I was in trouble that day. Yeah. And uh, that that particular day, uh, a couple of hits on this little pipe turned me into a different person. It was great. It was like all of a sudden I could see things for what they were. And like it was a calming of my um natural energy and all that because I was always like uh, very impulsive back then and challenged in different ways energetically you know and um so that really slowed things down and made me think and feel in ways I never did before and that's how I began that part of my life and uh it's been good to me over the years you know it's definitely served purpose in different ways Uh, I'm obviously a proponent for it but um back back then it was kind of uh A weird thing because I didn't know you know and I didn't realize that that could really make that kind of a difference and um all that so that kind of carried into high school and college of course and I ended up going to college in northern California in Humboldt County
1: (laughs) oh wow yeah which is
0: the greatest like it was an amazing place and great place uh wished I'd stayed the path I was supposed to pursue a career in broadcasting but things change and people die and you end up uh leaving and taking care of your grandmother for 16 years. And that's what I did. And um, so anyway, like, yeah, school was fun, actually. I kind of wish that I could go back and make some different decisions, really. Um, You know, but it's not a bad thing. It's just now that I know, you know, and when you grow through obstacles and change your paradigm and all that, you sometimes look back and see things differently. And, you know, I feel that way about it. Um, I, I really do. And, uh, so. Getting back to you, that was really slick how you switched it up there for a second, Anne. <laughs> oh, so
1: I'm, I'm a professional at doing that, so... I, I know,
0: okay, well, we should have a little contest. Yeah, we'll just kind of keep going. We'll see who can get hit, hit a hit Oh, a certain... God,
1: I will outlast you in a not-talk-about-myself competition. Oh, right, yeah, exactly. we we'll win well, that award.
0: <laughs> oh, no, yeah, I appreciate you sharing, actually. I know it might seem kind of odd. I, I really didn't take that part of it into consideration. <laughs> but it's all about you as a human being so you know it just happens to be that you're a specialist of the mind and all that stuff so you know um so let me ask you this like uh and this is an important timeline to cover I think what about relationship and things as we move into our teen and adult years you know relationship becomes more important both with the opposite sex and with different people to make friends for the future what was that part of your life like
1: yeah, well, I think, um, you know, I think that that was an intense part of my life. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, for, you know, I have, I have wonderful parents and got very, very lucky, but um, in a lot of ways, I think that they're, they're pretty traditional. And so the messages that I got about who I'm supposed to be as a woman um, and as an adult was that, you know, the highest thing I could kind of aspire to was being someone's like beautiful wife. Um, and I think that kind of feeling that pressure and sort of seeing that the only way that I would ever really have any kind of value in the world was through a relationship made me sort of, you know, made me just really relationship and guess boy crazed. Um wow. and so, you know, really from the time I got to college, um, you know, obviously like I said, it was like, oh, then suddenly it was a good thing to be tall. Until I was basically 38, I was kind of in and out of relationships. Um, Some were good. Most were pretty unhealthy. And, you know, I think that, you know, all good people, but I think I was always trying to kind of solve the problem of of having value. And my value was always supposed to be kind of provided to me through the relationship that I was in. It was never something I would have kind of on Mm -hmm. my own based on you know not even what i did but like who i was just as being like a person here on this planet um
0: yeah
1: so yeah um you know and that's kind of how i you know we will sort of turn to this but i think that's sort of where the the transition towards psychedelics uh started to make an impact in my life and then it sort of I'm you know, moved into my professional
0: world so oh you finally said the magic word Anne. yeah that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the magic no pun intended but that's the magic word yes um, I have a little story I want to share with you but I want to ask one other question that just came to mind um, do you think that having a sister of course being a woman you know in my opinion women kind of control everything in a good way you know but when it comes down to it a woman's judgment is typically better, I think, in some ways than a man's. And, you know, there's a lot of value in in women. And even back in the ancient times, you know, gay people have become something really different these days. But uh, way back when, gay people were revered as gods because they had feminine and masculine qualities. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's something really special about being a woman. And I just wonder outside of that magic aura of femininity, femininity that you would have, um, does having a sister, did that make a difference in terms of making better relationship choices? And did, uh, having a sister make a difference at all in your personal life, as opposed to like a brother or being an only child?
1: Uh, you know, I could see how it could, but, uh, I can't really say that I think my sister influenced me in terms of having better, healthier relationships. You know, I think, um, you know, I think that you know she sort of kind of towed the line with our family, you know, um you know I think, and you know is, has a very happy life and is married and has kids and stuff like that um but I think uh yeah, I mean. Um, yeah, I can think about that. I'm not sure I actually know if that had that much of an influence on it. I know.
0: Yeah, I was just curious. That's all. Yeah. And being a man, I'm always curious, you know, and I'm just kind of wondering because I don't have a sister. I've never had that luxury and I wish I had actually. It would have been great because I would have learned a lot more about girls, you know, growing up and
1: that yeah. would have made a
0: big difference. I was just wondering, you know, if you guys collaborated in life to, you know, help each other and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not so much. I mean, we've had, we've kind of taken pretty different roads and I have so much respect and love with her, but I don't know that we're necessarily kind of close in that way. Um, That's cool. You know, that's a space I think that's really been filled wonderfully by, you know, the friends that I've made. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's really where that kind of um, sense of uh, learning from one another and understanding and kind of going through things together. And that particular kind of intimacy has sort of shown up in my life
0: very cool very cool and speaking of intimacy are you married
1: i'm not but i have uh i live with my boyfriend um and you know he's a really wonderful person and um met him after a stretch of time where i wasn't with anyone and really had kind of found peace with myself during the pandemic um and so it's just really, you know, it's really, it's worked out well. And I think that the reason it's different is that, you know, I myself am, am healthier. I'm not looking for a relationship to be, you know, the source of happiness or the source of meaning in my life. Um, totally.
0: You know, yeah. You're to
1: c- responsible for that.
0: You come as a whole. I always look at it as um, in order to have a healthy relationship, both people need to be whole. But one and one, you know, goes right on together. But two ones are better than two halves. <laughs> <laughs>
1: For sure, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't want to get off track here, but like this is what I've been kind of thinking about ever since I saw the word psychedelic in your information. I wanted to share this because right away it, it hit a nerve, and I was like, "Man, this is I gotta tell her about this." Like you, you gotta you gotta hear this story, and it'll probably lead right into uh, your topic of discussion today, um, and that is my first time using acid. Hmm. And uh, it was in high school on Halloween night in 1989. And I'll never forget, it was the greatest experience. And I had never done anything like that before. It was kind of weird and different. And uh, I'll just tell you this, like, um, and you can probably relate. I'm sure you've had these similar experiences, but something happened that night that uh, was really profound. And... um you know, through subsequent experiences, I found LSD to be an amazing tool, and also mushrooms um, for transformation and personal, uh, personal um, adjustments. Let's say. Um, so here's what happened. So we we dropped. We coming on. The kids are starting to come to the door for Halloween. It was great. You know, the music, and we're watching little kids and everybody's so cute and weird and we're giving them candy and just having a great time and then finally the kids stopped coming and we're just hanging out and we went out on the balcony and I remember a couple of things happening that were really interesting. The first was that I could see colors floating out of the different windows and there were different colors in different windows and I was like that's interesting and I knew about auras and things and so I was kind of thinking like man am I seeing an you know, the auras coming out of the, it was in an apartment complex. And so as I'm doing this, I started to see inside the the walls and I could see in these different apartments, different furniture and people and all that clear as day. It was crazy. Mm. And I was just totally tripping out on that. And I'm like, man, that's amazing. And went and sat down and it was uh, listening to the album. Uh, I want to say it was Starfish, but it might've been another album by the church and uh one particular album that i really like and during a song something had happened i was sitting in the beanbag chair and i remember just kind of laying there and enjoying the moment and uh having you know the trip and everything and uh, the music, something happened somewhere in the music, and I felt this weird knot leave my chest, and mm. it was like a big clump of something, and it was so strange. I felt it literally leave my body, and I was very aware of it, and it was very unusual, something brand new I'd never experienced, and I'm like, what the hell was that? Well, the next day, um, I quit smoking cigarettes, Um I, not long after that, became a vegetarian tree-hugging freak, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was all about the animals and everything, and, you know, became a vegan and everything, and, you know, started looking at girls differently, because I was a horny little guy, and, you know, um, it was the time in my life where I guess I needed to start growing up a little bit more, and, you know, it caught me, and it it put things in line in my consciousness that I wasn't even expecting, and... It literally helped to change me for the better in a really positive way. um, I noticed it, you know, and I I really could tell that I was not the same person. And it was very interesting. And and each time I've done it, maybe a handful of times after that, it was always with the intent and purpose of transforming or changing or eradicating some type of block or whatever. So, like, I'd spend a whole day thinking about whatever it was that was going on in my life And then without even having to address it, somewhere in the trip experience, there would be um, knowledge, information, and some type of solution that just came, you know, somewhere along the night, you know, and it was crazy. So, like, you know, I just had to share because, to me, i really, really got a lot of value out of that experience, and I certainly don't condone it for other people, you know, that are not experienced that way. I just happened to be lucky Mm -hmm. that... I can control my thoughts. I know reality versus fantasy under any condition. Um, So, you know, even fried out of my brain, I'm still aware of what's real and what's not. And, you know, it's all about God, you know, for me. And Mm -hmm. so somehow it brought me into myself in a really positive way. And I wanted to share that with you to kickstart our conversation about what you do. Wow.
1: Well, I mean, that is an incredible story. And I'm so, like glad that you shared it because I think it really highlights something that's important about psychedelics that they can be enduring changes. I mean, this was an experience that you had when you were what, you were 16, 17 years yeah, old and you were yeah. 18. And all these years later you're still able to like probably like remember in your body what it felt like and think of the things that came to you. Um, you know, and it's a really profound it sounds like it was a really profound experience.
0: Definitely, definitely. And and I know that like um, there's some talk in the the psychology community about microdosing. I've heard of that practice for people with mushrooms and supposedly it really helps, you know, and it doesn't really take you there. It just kind of gets the edge off and puts a little happiness, a spring in your step, if you will. Yeah. Um, So tell me a little bit about you know, how you came to get into what you're doing, just so that we can preface it correctly, and then let's uh, talk shop here.
1: Sure, that sounds good. Well, um, you know, like many people in college, I was fairly experimental and tried a bunch of things, and I tried psychedelics and thought, okay, that was an interesting experience, but it wasn't anything profound like what you had uh, when you were 18 on Halloween. Um And, you know, I went and I worked and I had, you know, sort of my 20s went by. And then in my 30s, I decided to go back to grad school and was in a mental health counseling program Uh, and graduated. And I was working and I was just getting really burned out um, on doing work because I just felt like there was not anything that was a helpful tool to support clients in the unbelievably difficult of sort of examining one's own life you know like it's really hard to do and people you know and it just gets overwhelming and I think people kind of leave treatment because they understandably get stumped by it Uh, so I was on a road trip um my I was in a relationship at the time the relationship was falling apart uh and so I was on this solo road trip by myself for a couple of months uh over the summer and wow
0: that's cool uh,
1: yeah yeah, it was great. I went to thirteen national parks. That
0: really, summer. that's yeah. so balls. That's so ballsy. Even as a guy, like I was afraid to drive across the country by myself, and you know, I was scared as a high, as a high school kid. I I drove across the country, and it terrified me. And thank God somebody went with me. But like, I I really admire that. You know, that's courage and adventure. Well, and,
1: I was thirty eight, so. <laughs>
0: Well, okay, that helps We're a little starting bit. with the
1: credit card and, you know, AAA. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that helps.
0: Yeah, never mind. That helps a little bit. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It definitely lowers the risk. Um, <laughs> but, you know, all this time to myself, and I was listening to this book, which was Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a real revelation to me because I had no idea that there was a whole history of the use of psychedelics in therapy circles uh, for treating alcoholism for treating depression for doing couples work and this book really you know talked about all of these threads and this great history and how helpful they could be and I just thought to myself oh my gosh this is exactly the solution that I have been looking for Um, you know that it isn't so much just we're talking about like reducing people's symptoms where you're like okay we're going to take a pill and your anxiety will go down. But this is about like healing mm-hmm. the root of what your anxiety is about. Exactly, um,
0: Accessing accessing. Yeah.
1: It. Yeah. Which I, you know, it's like what I wanted to do as a, as a therapist normally, but it's just really, really hard to do. And so it just like a light bulb clicked off on my head and I just thought to myself, I don't know how I'm going to get involved in this, but this is the path that I need to go down.
0: Were you aware of Timothy Leary at the time?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I you know had you know enough awareness of 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 that and um, some of I guess I didn't realize about the Harvard studies. I just sort of knew that he was this countercultural figure that told people to like tune in and drop out, and you know that's the extent that I that I understood what that was about. But obviously, before for a while, he was trying to do you know LSD research at Harvard before he was fired.
0: So. Yeah. and then there's the military acid experiments have you ever seen those there's actually videos of those on archives.org
1: oh my gosh um,
0: <clears throat> that'll blow your mind yeah they give people lsd without telling them and
1: wow then yeah.
0: videotape and uh, record them and it's uh really fascinating actually especially in the 50s when people had no clue and it was like man like wow you know and, and and really sometimes it brings out the real person and i think i would agree with that sentiment of uh accessing the core of things which is really interesting and to me really fascinating i don't really understand the scientific aspect of it but it always felt like a shortcut you know if it's used properly it's it's a shortcut to doing certain things with the mind and the body would you agree with that
1: Yeah, I think it is. Um, And I think that if you do it properly is the important part. You know, I think that um, having a psychedelic experience within a therapeutic, the container of a sort of therapeutic relationship is really one of the best ways of being able to translate these unique, special, mystical, into practical changes in your life. There's a, you know, it's difficult to take what you experienced and turn it into some sort of change. And so I think that's kind of one of the ways that, um, you know, under the proper circumstances, it can be really helpful Um, as well as things like set and setting and and doing it with like um, intention for growth or wisdom rather than an intention to have a good time at a concert.
0: (laughs) right exactly i mean that's kind of nice too for me it was never about that i would always do it in the forest and you know quiet places and always had somebody safe you know that was around that was sober to make sure that nothing went wrong you know oh, that's it, great. it was cool I, we, we called them guides you know we had a sober guide you know that would drive us where we wanted to go and you know make sure that we got to and pro safely and all that kind of stuff and, it was great, but music, boy, I'll tell you, music and psychedelics sure do go together well.
1: <laughs> they really do. They can just, you know, take you on a little journey where you need to go. So.
0: Absolutely. Uh, we were talking about this actually in a recent episode I had with another person, and we were talking about frequency. And a uh, very interesting story, the gentleman created an app that uh, helps with mental health and different things, and it's actually very effective. And um, it's called Ever Yellow. Hmm. Um, It's actually going to be the episode before this when I publish it. But um, it's really interesting to me that frequency is something that, you know, we often don't really think about it. But um, just kind of to delve into the subject, I was curious, um, are you familiar with like the water experiments and uh, the rice experiment, for example? Have you ever heard of those things?
1: I have not. Tell me more. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh man, you're gonna love this. Okay, so um the rice experiment is probably the first one. Let me uh let me make sure that I get the name right. Um <clears throat> for the water experiments. Um let's see, water experiment. Okay. Emoto. Okay. Asuru Omoto. Let's start with the water experiment. So here's the thing. This doctor, and he's a really interesting guy. He created a study wherein he took uh, a drop of water on each Petri dish and focused energy on those droplets of water. And let's just, uh, for argument's sake, say from left to right, we're going from hate to love. So Uh, or actually love to hate. So let's start on the left with love. And so the first one, I love you, I love you, I love you. That was the energy he focused on it. The next one would be like, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you know. And then maybe the one in the middle, and this is a very um, summarized viewpoint of this, but (laughs) there was a lot more involved than what I'm telling you. But the middle one would be like, you know, I don't really care about you, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter. And then moving on to the right, you're ugly you're ugly and then I hate you and so starting on the left again with the love all the love energy produced the most amazing so he flash froze these things to capture them so to capture the um, essence of the water that itself he would flash freeze these things instantly freeze them and they would uh, look at them under a microscope and so the ones that had love were perfectly formed, symmetrical, and beautiful like a snowflake and really quite remarkable in their beauty. And you can look at this on the internet and YouTube and, and see what I'm talking about. It'll blow your mind. And yeah. as you move to the right and get into the you know, uh, area that's neutral or getting towards the negative, what ends up happening is the water doesn't have any form. It, it's kind of like a blob and it's very unattractive and it doesn't have shape and all that so he figured out that you know water stores energy and you know that energy is something that we really don't realize we put out and we take in every day every moment with different people and things and all that but um, the most important part of it is that if you direct love towards things you can heal and you can change and make a very powerful impact like they had uh, some monks that sat around a river that was polluted And it was red. I think it was red, actually. And they sat around and meditated and and gave love to this river for, I don't know what the period of time was, but they turned that water white and it became clean. And it was just crazy. You know, it's like just the idea of it. And being, you know, mostly water creatures ourselves, it stands to reason that if that's true, we need to be thinking about the energy that we put out and the energy that we allow into our consciousness. And, uh, so real quick, and then I want to get back, um, the rice experiment, much the same way measures energy and two simple forms. So you take rice and you cook it, let it cool, and then get two identical Mason jars and put rice, the same amount in each Mason jar, seal them up. And on one Mason jar, you write love. And on the other Mason jar, you write hate. And so put them in a dark place like in the closet or something and every morning you go to the love jar keep them separate uh you go to the love jar and you tell it how much you love it and love on that jar man and then the hate jar of course you say how much you hate it and after 30 days i haven't really done this myself actually but i've seen enough videos to believe it's true um the hate jar is actually moldy and gross and the love jar is pure white clean you could probably eat it and Um, it's really amazing. So, you know, to me, like the psychedelic realm is a place where, you know, I'm a very positive, optimistic person. So I see nothing but love and sunshine and good things, right? No dragons or lizards or anything like that. Um, but you know, just taking these concepts into account, do you think that there is value and benefit in using psychedelics to, um, transform like, um, you know, health conditions and things like that as well, in much the same way that sometimes, you know, uh, just through therapy and counseling, they call it spiritual healing, uh, things do change, you know, sometimes. And I'm just wondering, you know, with the awareness of how complex the human body is, but also knowing that it's possible for the energy to really have a deeper impact on us than we might realize, do you think that psychedelics provide access to things along those lines for people that might not otherwise be able to go there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, that story of the the water experiment and the rice experiment are great examples um, of just the fact that like love is very powerful. Um, And I think the same holds for people and for mental health. Um, And, you know, at the core of that really is, um, you know, learning to love yourself. And when you're in a place of being able to really love yourself and accept yourself and see yourself as uh, a important, wonderful part of this special creation that is totally miraculous, um, you know, it, it, it becomes easier, you know, and I think people can really sort of change and, um, you know, not that, not that like mental health is sort of saved by self-love uh, or s- sort of solved by self-love, but I do think that there's a lot to be said for, um, you know, starting at that one place and seeing what can emanate out from that.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and so do you treat people in this method or like how exactly does your service work or yeah, how, how does it work?
1: Sure. So uh, I'm a licensed psychotherapist in uh, a couple of different states out uh, in the West and in Virginia. Um, And so uh, a lot of what I do is um, sort of psychedelic integration uh, work. Mm -hmm. So folks who maybe are using psychedelics on their own or they're going to ketamine clinic or something like that. And they want to figure out ways to integrate what they've experienced into their life um you know i have training in that and that's really one of the things i feel really passionate about is that these experiences can be really you know they can be really ephemeral and they can really dissolve quickly if we don't take the time to talk about them and think about them and integrate them into our relationship with nature into our um into our bodies into our relationships with one another so that's one thing that I do, uh, and then the other thing that I do is something called ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, um, and that's actually where people will, um, you know, will do obviously preparation for it, uh, and people will come in and talk about what they hope to gain out of the experience, and then they'll do a psychedelic dose dose journey with me using ketamine. Um, mm-hmm. And that'll be either in person or remotely. And then after we do that, we obviously will, you know, wait a couple of days and then start to integrate that. So um, yeah. it's a really, you know, I mean, this is going to be the new paradigm for mental health. I hope that as more psychedelic drugs um, come on to the market, either through FDA approval or through um, state decisions to support community based um, treatment that, um, you know, that there will be options to do this with, um, psilocybin, with magic mushrooms, with LSD, with MDMA.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that we can really start to, uh, heal the root cause of the suffering of so many of us. Um, so many mm-hmm. of us, and you know, and, and move ahead and have meaningful, better lives.
0: That's amazing. Very cool. Why do you think life's so complicated to people?
1: <laughs> well, I think that I think that suffering is, you know, it's one of those things. And I say this as a mental professional, mental health professional, is that we have gotten in this habit, I think, of pathologizing suffering, you know, and saying that like there's something wrong with you if you're suffering. And the truth is, is that suffering is just normal it's part of the human experience. Yeah, normal. and um, you know, we are here to have moments of great pain and here to have moments of great joy and you know, we just have to kind of welcome all of it um, to the extent that that's possible.
0: So, What would you say to somebody who struggles but is afraid to try psychedelics? What would you say to them?
1: Yeah, well, I would, you know, I would say that, you know, there are lots of like, you know, there are lots of solutions and that, um, you know, if they have a sense of what would be helpful to them, um, you know, they should really heed that. I mean, I think one of the, shifts that I've really had to make as a therapist is recognizing that I'm not really the source of solutions that, that, you know, with psychedelics, people are able to tap into their own internal healing wisdom and be able to do the work that they need to do to, you know, right the ship. Um, you know, and I'm there to help support. I'm there to direct it, but it's, it's not about me. It's about them. And I think, um, I think that's true of all people, and it maybe took working with psychedelics for me to really realize that. And so I think if somebody is like, I don't want to do psychedelics, I would say, okay, well, what do you think would be helpful? What is the sense, you know, what in your gut do you wonder um, about and think might be useful?
0: So, Interesting. Um, Just reminded me of another short story, if you don't mind. Can I share real quick? Yeah, go for it. All right, here's another one with mushrooms this time. Um, So I was living in Humboldt County up in Arcata in college. It was like 1993 or something, I think 1994, somewhere in there. And um, a friend of mine got some really great mushrooms, and they were really great, and like it was amazing. And so he was my really close friend and my drummer in my band, and we had a very good connection and, you know, kind of a spiritual relationship and all that Mm. already, and uh, this particular night was really amazing. So the mushrooms come on and everything's great. It's just him and I hanging out in my apartment. And uh, we're not talking. We're just sitting there. And I kid you not, it was the strangest thing. It's like I heard him say something, but I didn't hear him say something. And I'm like, uh, wait a second. And then so I said something back, but it wasn't verbally. It was it was uh, psychically. Hmm. And he, he answered me. And I was like, wait a second. And then so... I verbalized I said hey dude did you just hear that and then so we tested each other a couple of times and like sure enough like I don't know what happened that night but I'll tell you this like it was so much fun but it was also amazing because we had the most psychic experience I've ever had with anyone ever and like we could literally see each other's brains and like our thoughts and We could communicate without words, like the whole night we were talking to each other without talking and then confirming it every now and then. So we knew we weren't crazy and uh, it was a really, really, really great experience. All I can say is like, wow, I wish it was always like that, (laughs) Um, but that was really neat. I just uh, was curious though, and I wanted to bring it up because I wondered how the psychedelics play into the psychic realm. And if you could comment on that.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, in the research that they've been doing on psychedelics lately, um, that one of the common experiences people have is this idea of the, um, of ego dissolution. So this kind of idea of ourselves sort of dissolving and that we become, have this experience of becoming basically pure consciousness where we, you know, we are waves in the ocean uh, and it's not clear where, one wave starts and the other wave stops. Um, And so I think that that is, you know, an incredibly important piece of, you know, of psychedelics is just really realizing that, um, that the boundaries that we place on ourselves and the limits to what's us and how we're connected to other people, um, you know, that it may not always be like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also just think mushrooms have all sorts of magical things that, you know, that that come up associated with them. Um, mm-hmm. I was traveling with a friend of mine uh, in California. We went to this retreat at this place called Esalen, and it was about kind of psychedelic therapy. She lived in Virginia, and when she got home, her yard under this tree was covered with psilocybin mushrooms. And they
0: popped
1: wow. up when we were there, and they were just, like, growing naturally in her front yard, you know, and it was just this wonderful little
0: what a deal (laughs) i should say so wow
1: yeah so i totally think you had a psychic experience i have no doubt that that you know i believe you
0: oh it happened yeah i don't need anyone to believe it it happened like there's no way around it it was it was amazing and like it really opened my eyes to the idea that wow you know it's like there's a whole other realm and i mean i was into meditation at the time and all that and playing music, you know, is very spiritual and all that for me. But um yeah, that was uh that was another one of those moments in time that I'll never forget and it just added something to my experience that I can't quite describe but it was very positive.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that is also another part is that it's really hard to share. You know, share that subjective experience that we have with psychedelics, that they're kind of an ineffable thing, Um, but Mm -hmm. they're enduring, you know, like you said, like, I remember this happening. It's very clear. So,
0: Absolutely. And if you ever get a chance, watch the Batman movie, the old Batman movie. Watch that on Acid or Mushrooms. It's great. Like, especially <laughs> when when Batman's trying to beat off the shark with his stick. He's over the ocean and a helicopter on this weird ladder and he's trying to beat the shark off. So funny. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> had to be there.
1: Might have to take your word for that on that one.
0: <laughs> oh it was oh man, I'll never forget that movie. It was great. Uh but that's a whole nother story. So um just out of curiosity, and also, of course, for people listening, uh, what type of person would want to reach out to you? What what is the person that might not know that a solution like yours is available, and it might be a good idea to talk with you sometime about possible solutions?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I mean, I think the ideal person for me is somebody who has, you know, done a good bit of work and uh, therapy at some point, um, or you know, has done other sorts of spiritual growth maybe 12-step programs or meditation and they just feel like they've kind of hit a wall and feel like there is more that that they need to see uh, and that they're not sure quite how to access it um, so I would say that that's that would be the ideal I think client there obviously people who um, you know have, Persistent psychiatric issues, treatment-resistant depression, PTSD, things like that. That's a great indication for it as well, too. Interesting. Um, uh, and so, if you're in a state that I'm licensed, uh, yeah, then, and you're interested, then that. Would in work. which
0: states are you licensed in again?
1: Uh, I'm in California, Colorado, Oregon, New Mexico, and Virginia.
0: Very cool. Is it because um, psychedelics are legal in those states?
1: Well, uh, ketamine is legal in all 50 states because it's uh FDA-approved sort of Schedule 3 drug. Um, and as of right now, that's the only one that's legalized. They're hoping, they're wrapping up kind of stage 3 trials on MDMA, which probably will be approved federally um, at the end of this year, early next year. Um, and just in terms of licensing, it just happens to be the states that are close to me. Uh, you have to kind of apply... To every single state. so Yeah. (laughs) Just haven't quite gotten around. And yeah, haven't gotten around to adding uh, New York yet. (laughs)
0: Right on, right on. Well, they could use it a lot there, I'll tell you that. Um, No question about it. Um, So ketamine, you know, I've heard about what I guess is called going down the Mm K-hole. And uh, that sounds really scary to me. What's the experience like? I've never done it. I probably never will, but like...
1: Tell yeah. us about
0: what is that experience of doing ketamine like?
1: Well, I think, it's I mean, the big difference between sort of the way people use ketamine publicly in the K-hole is that it's a much, much smaller dose. It's like okay. a very, it's a low dose ketamine. Um, and, you know, you're in this very controlled environment. Um, you know, we're talking like 100 to 200 milligrams. Um, and so I think for a lot of people, really what happens is that uh, you know, maybe they feel a little floaty in their body. If they have any pain, the pain goes away. Um, and then, uh, there's just a kind of sense that you're able to, um, sort of step outside yourself and sort of observe your experience as maybe a detached person would. Um, and that, that can be really meaningful if you are, you know, caught in the trap of rumination or anxiety you can just kind of sort of it sort of offers this real perspective shift um and that you know after it only lasts about an hour and at the end of the hour we sort of talk about what showed up and uh and then talk more there's a lot of talking involved but not during the hour when you're under the influence you don't have to say a thing so that's
0: cool yeah i was just kind of curious does it last longer than that or does it wear off right away or
1: it's usually about an hour um somewhere between 40 minutes to an hour is the length of it. I mean obviously the other psychedelics are quite are a lot longer. <laughs> yeah. Um but I think for people who don't have a lot of experience with psychedelics that's kind of one of the nice things about ketamine is that it's just kind of like okay well you know, you know like like they say with other ones like you buy the ticket take the ride. It's very different when the ride is six hours versus 45 (laughs) (laughs) minutes.
0: Yeah, no, that is very, very interesting um, and different indeed. Um, hmm, That is crazy. I would never have thought that uh, ketamine, of all things. Like, I always thought it was a party drug for dancing.
1: Well, it's that, too. And I think that, you know, it's starting to become a little bit problematic around the U.S. right now, um, which, you know... Yeah, with the fentanyl crisis, I can kind of appreciate that um, people are like, oh, this is a way of getting a party drug from a pharmaceutical, from a compounding pharmacy instead of off of the street. And so, um, you know, it's, it's tricky, but I do think that uh, under a medically supervised context within a therapeutic experience, it's a really, really safe option and a really effective one as well, too. That's the other piece of it.
0: Absolutely. If you could just choose one of the three tools that we've talked about, ketamine, mushrooms, or LSD, which one would you think you'd run with if you only had one option?
1: Well, I think I would actually pick MDMA, but of those three, I would probably pick, I think I would pick mushrooms.
0: Okay. Because of the natural aspect of it?
1: No, I just really like the, uh, I just kind of like the experience that they have. I just feel, you know, like ketamine can be kind of, you know, if you don't work really hard to integrate the experience, it can slip through your fingers quickly. Whereas I really feel like with mushrooms, uh, it is profound and it is specific and it is enduring. So I really like that about it.
0: Absolutely. That's great. Wow. What a cool conversation. Um,
1: Yeah. Thanks. I'm so glad that you reached out. It's been really fun chatting with you and hearing about your experiences and hearing your story as well, too.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it's really nice to share, uh, especially with someone who can enjoy, appreciate and understand, you know, the story, which, you know, a lot of times it's just a story. But like for you, um, it's a whole nother thing because you're dealing in this realm. And so I've never really had somebody to share this with that understands it the way that you do. So I appreciate that, actually. Um, Well, I think you're lucky,
1: Todd, that you've had those experiences. I hope that uh, it's a gift. Definitely.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, actually. I couldn't agree more. It's been good to me, um, for sure. Uh, probably wouldn't do it again. Uh, I just, you know, in my old age, I'm maybe afraid of things that I used to embrace, you know, but uh, whatever, you know, it's all good. Maybe.
1: Ram, <laughs> Ram Das had a saying, "When you when you get the message, hang up the phone.
0: Yeah, right. Exactly. That's perfect. And speaking of which, we're almost to the end of our time together. And I wanted to ask um, if there's anything that might be on your mind or your heart that we didn't get to, uh, something that might be just uh, important that we didn't hit, anything at all like that that you might like to share with our audience?
1: Yeah, I would say the most important thing, if you're interested in doing this work with someone, is to make sure that they are trained, that they are ethical, and that they are like above board. I mean, I think that Obviously there's been a long history of doing psychedelic therapy in the underground. um, But there's also been a a lot of abuse and folks are in really vulnerable situations. So I would just really encourage everyone out there to spend a lot of time and really scrutinize the person that you're going to be working with because um, you know, you want to be in good hands. It's, you know psych- psychedelics are really unpredictable and the only one of the best ways to take the unpredictable predictableness out of it is to be with somebody that you really trust
0: exactly right yeah i couldn't agree more and who knew that there were people out there that you could do that with especially legally you know it was always a friend's house you know <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: but that's a beautiful thing and and how do people find you if they wanted to reach out and talk with you
1: Sure. So I have a couple of websites. Probably the easiest one uh, to find is one called nomorebadtrips.com. dot
0: <laughs> No, I love it. <laughs> and don't forget to drink your orange juice before you take your mushrooms.
1: <laughs> that was a,
0: that's another good trick I learned along the way. Vitamin C and mushrooms go very well together, people.
1: Yeah, hot tip there, Todd.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know the story. That's beautiful. And uh, if someone wanted to reach out, do you offer a consultation or something? How does it work when somebody connects with you?
1: Yeah, yeah. On my website, you could um, just do a free. Um, you can just do a consultation on there and schedule one, and I am available um, to do. I think it's a half hour or fifteen minutes or a half hour phone consultate, Zoom consultation for free. So. Very, and if I'm not cool. the right person, I'm happy to connect you um, to the extent that I can with someone who's in your area or that is doing this work that might be a better fit. So,
0: Very cool. It sounds like a great idea for a vacation. You know, somebody could just come to wherever the people are and yeah. do the thing and, you know, come back a different person.
1: Well, I will mention that I live 20 minutes from a world-class ski resort. So. Oh,
0: man, <laughs> in the wintertime. Wow. <laughs>
1: yeah. It also has pretty good fly fishing and whitewater rafting, too. So it's it's a, it's a year-round, delightful place to live.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a retreat. In <laughs> <Totally. laughs> more ways than one. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing today with us, Anne Metz. I really do. And I just want to let you know that uh, allowing me to ask you the questions for a change has been an honor. I really do appreciate that. Uh, I didn't realize getting into this uh, who I was dealing with at first. <laughs>
1: oh well I just appreciate the questions it was just really like wonderful to reflect back and to try to think like oh gosh how does that that I am and wonderful hearing your story and um appreciate you sharing like these great experiences with psychedelics um you know just it illuminates for our audience how impactful these these uh Substances can really be so. Absolutely,
0: yeah. And I got mine on the street, but you can get yours in a nice office. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, you can only get ketamine for right now, but hold, hold. You know, just keep that It'll thought on hold. A couple yeah. years from now, you'll be able to get it at the do- get your psilocybin at the doctor's office.
0: Absolutely. To be honest, I'm surprised marijuana's been made legal in so many places. It's even legal here in Nevada, and. It's crazy, man. Like, I mean, it's a whole nother realm of possibilities in terms of, uh, social, you know, relaxation and all that. And uh, we'll have to do that conversation another time, but <laughs> yeah, that's, I think, leading the way for more advents in areas like yours.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, thank you again, Todd, for having me. It's just been really special. And, um, I, Am excited and hope that your uh, listeners uh, have their curiosity piqued and uh, start to reflect on their own experiences. So
0: absolutely yeah you're making me want to do an acid trip again and <laughs> maybe I got a handout
1: well, out for you Todd before you do it I'm gonna have to get you to set an intention
0: <laughs> oh no that won't be a problem at all I'll just have to figure out how to uh, get myself all the way to New Mexico um, <laughs> but that's cool I've always wanted to go to Colorado so maybe one day you know Maybe one day, you never know. But I'll definitely keep you in mind if that time ever comes, you'll be the first person I call. <laughs> Sounds
1: <laughs> great. It's a deal.
0: Awesome. Thank you again for being with us and Matt.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Todd. It was really fun.
0: Totally. I agree. I really do. And I hope you have a great rest of the night, and thanks for being with me.
1: Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: You too. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Toddcast Show. If you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the Toddcast Show is all about community and connection, so follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also, check out ToddCastShow.com to find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Mira. Be sure to tell your friends and family about the Toddcast show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode hi i 'm Todd Murat, host of the Toddcast Show, and I want to share something personal with you today throughout my own life i 've struggled with issues i didn 't even realize I had. Things like depression, past trauma, PTSD, and feeling disconnected from the people I loved the most. It took me hitting rock bottom to realize I couldn't fix myself alone. I needed help to unravel the tangled knots within my life, find myself again, and become stronger in the areas I was weakest. It wasn't an overnight transformation, but with time, I learned to change my thinking, my attitudes, and my entire paradigm for the better. I learned that it's good to ask for help, and that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the ToddCast show. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and the best part, it's 100% online. You can participate from anywhere, anytime that works for you. It's simple to get started. Simply answer a few questions about your specific needs and personal preferences in therapy, and BetterHelp will match you with the perfect therapist from their network. It's really that easy. You can message your therapist anytime you need support and schedule a live session when it's convenient for you. BetterHelp is committed to ensuring that you find the perfect match to guide you along your journey to well-being. As someone who went through therapy and came out way ahead of where I started, I want to invite you to take this step to a healthier, happier you today. My life was transformed through therapy, and yours can be too. With BetterHelp... You get the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is hand-picked for you, all at a shockingly affordable price. And as a special offer for our listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month by using the special link. BetterHelp.com forward slash Todcast. That's BetterHelp.com forward slash Forward slash Toddcast. You don't have to face life's challenges alone. BetterHelp is here to support you through the big and small issues of your life in a way that can really make a huge difference, both short and long term. Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ToddCast to get started today.